Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. All right, today we're talking about undiagnosed somatic pain. You know, somatic therapy is a form of body-centered therapy that basically looks at the connection of your mind and your body and uses both psychotherapy and physical therapies for holistic healing. And in addition to talk therapy, somatic therapy practitioners use mind-body exercises and other physical techniques to help release the pent-up tension that negatively affects a patient's physical and emotional well-being. And so if you think about it, uh, there's a bunch of practitioners out there that practice somatic therapy, and, and they see a split between the body. Instead, they believe that the mind and the body are intimately connected, though not always in apparent ways. And so thoughts and motions, sensations are all believed to be interconnected and influence one another. So if talk therapy reaches its limit for someone, somatic therapy holds the body as largely untapped resource for psychotherapy. So these resources include what can be learned from one's let's say your gestures, your your postures, your facial expressions, maybe your eyes and how they gaze, um, you know, and even movement. And so somatic therapies of different kinds have been practiced for centuries. And fundamentally, yoga and meditation can be considered somatic therapies, and both are often incorporated into guided treatments. Also, uh, modern somatic therapy can take many forms, like somatics, which is basically a broad term, but it focuses on body movements as a means to improve mental health. And its history dates back to physical education movements of the 19th century. And, you know, we have to look back and understand that somatic pain, somatic pain is something that our mind concocts and it manifests itself in our body. For instance, if you have a lot of anxiety, you start to breathe through your nose instead of your mouth. When you do that, that cuts your oxygen supply to your brain. And so as you diminish your oxygen supply, because we only breathe through one nostril at a time, so every four hours your nostrils flip back and forth, that's why we get boogers. So if you think about it, that, that lack of oxygen means the brain has to hold the oxygen that's in your blood supply so it can run the show. And all the other organs, like your stomach, your lungs, your heart, they start to palpitate because they cannot do their job. They cannot churn because oxygen is what, let's say, makes the sun blow up. It's how your organs churn blood through them. And without it, they can't do that. And so all of a sudden, we have what are called somatic pains. But once you restore oxygen to your brain, what basically happens is the the, the brain releases the oxygen back into, back into the bloodstream, and the bloodstream begins to get the organs kicked back in, and no doctor can find that. That is what anxiety can do to your body. So, you know, if you think about it, when you are in tune with your body, when you have mindfulness enough to be in tune with what your body's doing, you may have a better sense of control over how to make your body perform better 
and how to make your body stabilize when you're stressed out and anxious. And so there's a lot of things like Pilates and judo and yoga. Even even the most prominent schools of somatics is created uh, uh, when they introduced and named the, the, the term uh, somatics back in the 70s. And that was uh, done by Thomas Hanna. And he theorized that, that for sufferers of chronic pain, a significant amount is a result of sensory motor amnesia in which neurons in the brain have lost their ability to properly control muscle tissue. And so he believed that through education, mindfulness, vigorous, and intentional movements akin to physical therapy, a patient can revigorate their mind-body pathways and relieve chronic pain. Isn't that wonderful if we could actually do that on our own? You know, the truth is, is if, if you um, think about it, most medications uh, are, are very – many medications are actually very effective. But the placebo is the most effective medication in the world. The placebo, the non-medication, is the most effective medication. What does that tell you about our mind-body connection? You know, there's another thing that was invented by Peter Levine in the 70s called somatic experiencing. And that's a version of somatic therapy called somatic, that, that somatic experiencing, which came out of uh, basically Carl Jung's theories and his observation of animals. So he, that he poised that when humans experience trauma, they become trapped in the freeze part of the flight, fight or flight freeze response. And his idea is that we remain frozen in many parts of life as a reaction to a traumatic experience. And these frozen parts of ourselves accumulate energy as they should, but expend in ways that are counterproductive to a healthy life, such as going through stress and anxiety. So the goal of ex uh, somatic experiencing is to redirect the energy to healthier directions and take it outside of your body. There's also this thing called the Hikomi method. It was developed in the 70s by Ron Kurtz. And that method emphasized the physical nature of how we live in our bodies. And it relies on deep and sustained mindfulness. So the therapy may not involve any body work as a therapist will guide the patient's attention to their body verbally, but nonviolence is a guiding principle for the method. Then there's another thing that evolved in the 80s and the 90s called sensor motor therapy. And uh, that means they're drawing on fundamentals of the Hikomi method, uh, where sensor motor therapy incorporates ideas from cognitive behavioral therapy and neuroscience. And so there's many more types, but what underlies all these therapies is the belief that the body can manifest mental unease and can also help it heal. You know, somatic uh, psychotherapy uh, uh, incorporates a person's mind, body, spirit, emotions in the process. And so looking at how people support this type of therapy, they believe that a person's thoughts, attitudes, feelings, beliefs can have an impact on your actual physical functioning. Why physical factors such as diet, exercise, posture may positively or negatively affect a person's mental and emotional state. So if you think about it, when people are motivated, they operate quite differently than when they're apathetic. So people that have the aptitude of apathy are going to accomplish likely a lot less than a person who is actually feeling motivated to get something done. 
And so in that, that also can cause pain because there's guilt and shame involved in not doing anything about what you need to do. And that pain is actually a mental pain. It's a pain of not being the person you want yourself to be. And therefore, you're not in control. Your feelings are controlled, much like depression. If you think about depression and anxiety, anxiety is fear-based, which means you're out of control. And depression is thought-based, meaning that you're expecting things that are not happening. And so, therefore, everybody and yourself feel like a failure based on the narrative of expectations that you have. And so those both cause a lot of pain. Those are negative narratives that continue to fester and feed on themselves. And if you live in fear, if you live in depression, if you live in catastrophization, you're likely going to also live in a lot of psychological pain, which will also manifest itself in how your body responds to it. So those seeking treatment for any number of mental health issues may actually incorporate somatic therapy into treatment to be beneficial. Meaning, let's say you go to a medical doctor and you're diagnosed with, let's say, arthritis or let's say you're, uh, a stress or anxiety or let's say a uh, 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 hypertension. Well, that also may have somatic ingredients to it. And so therapy may actually, somatic therapy may actually be very helpful to helping stabilize your body. You know, it's basically somatics is a mind-body connection. And it's uh, very contemporary practitioners of somatic therapy believe that viewing the mind and the body as one entity is essential to the therapeutic process. And that entity will move toward healing and growth of its own accord, given the right environment, the right attitude, the right thoughts, the right impersonal, uh, interpersonal interactions. And when conducted in a safe and respected manner, it can positively impact and regulate the mind-body. So that is a thing called self-control. Can we control ourselves? Yes, we can do a lot of good things for ourselves. One of the things that we should think about in our life is actually weighing, am I going to do what's easy, which is to lay in bed, or am I going to do what is right, which is to go to work? You know, people that do a lot more of what is right and then check in with how they feel live a much better life and have a lot much better productivity simply because they're not allowing their feelings to run the show. And that's what causes a lot of mental disorders. The other thing is the need to control things we cannot control. If you're trying to control your body, well, that's nice, but what you really want to do is influence your body based on exercise, based on self-discipline, based on your thoughts, your attitude, your choice, your, your ability to be in the moment with other people and actually engaged in life. You know, there's a lot of sensations associated with past trauma that get trapped in the body with reflected facial expressions, postures, muscular pain, reactions, other forms of body language. Talk therapy can help address the trauma, but depending on the needs of the person in treatment, therapeutic body techniques can supplement more conventional approaches such as talk therapy to provide holistic healing. Also, somatic psychotherapy, which is also called body psychotherapy or body-oriented psychotherapy, differs from body therapy. While body psychotherapy 
often results in increased self-awareness, the resolution of psychological concerns, positive changes in your behavior. Your body therapy does not seek to uh, resolve deep-rooted mental issues or provide psychological insights. On the contrary, body therapy typically involves the use of therapeutic massage, non-therapeutic massages, and cosmetic skin treatments to reduce stress and increase long-term health. There was a there's a psychoanalyst called Wilhelm Reich who believed uh, to have made the largest impact on early development and establishment of psycho so, uh, psychosomatic therapy, and and uh, there's also a, a French psychotherapist Pierre Janet that made significant contributions on the development of that in the 17th and the early 20th centuries. Also, Sigmund Freud who demonstrated his interest in the body's role and the onset of mental health issues, played an enormous role in building the platform of somatics in psychology. So Reich was actually a former student of Freud, and he believed that human impulses are innately good and sought to develop a psychodynamic concept incorporating the physical body, one of the first individuals he was to investigate the body's role in psychotherapy. He published a book called Character Analysis in 1933. And in that book, which was generally accepted by the psychoanalytic community, he suggested that repressed emotions, uh, even an individual's personality, were reflected in muscular tension, posture, physical movement, and a concept which he termed body armor. And as a result of his investigations, he believed that the application of physical pressure was needed in order for people in therapy to fully achieve emotional release. And so in his subsequent work, um, he, he applied massage in treatment for the purpose of breaking down physically manifested emotions. So he would target parts of the body that were actually uh, uh, manifesting physical symptoms based on stress. Now, if you think about it, like stress, people and anxiety, people carry it in different places, some in their neck, some in their head, like migraines, some in their shoulders, some in their back, you know, so, so, some in other nerve ending places like their hands and their feet. You know, it, it can be carried in many, many different places. And so by touching and, and massaging those areas, Reich was, was putting forward the idea that we should combine both talk therapy, psychoanalytic uh, understanding of our thinking, and physical massage to understand how both the mind and body are connected and how those things manifest themselves in our body. So understanding it from that perspective, there's a whole lot of schools of psychotherapy that are in practice which help put the mind and the body together. You know, it also may help people's experience a greater self-awareness and connection to other people because participants may find themselves be, be able to better sense their own bodies, reduce stress, and explore emotional and physical concerns. They also may understand a lot better the idea of um, what's what's called uh, uh, meta communication, which is your nonverbal communication. They may actually be able to understand body language and read how your body is responding to your amount of stress and where that is taking place and where your depression, you know, hunched over shoulders may be depression. 
you know, your body's tone, your body's ability to be resilient, your overeating or undereating, whatever that may be, and how your skin is based on how your how diet is may actually be ways in which we understand how our thinking is manifesting itself in our body. If you think about it, when people are athletes, their attitude about their body becomes very, very important to their concept of how they think. Their body is reflective of what they think about themselves and their level of confidence. And so oftentimes many athletes take care of their body, but they're also taking care of their brain. You know, if you actually took a 20-minute walk every day, got your heart beat up about 15 to 20 beats a minute over what it normally does, that is about 65% of an antidepressant. 65% of a, that would be the smallest dosage of an antidepressant. But guess what? Your brain gets the most benefit from cardio. Your brain gets it. Your body also gets it, but your brain is getting loads and loads and loads of dopamine, which is the pleasure chemical that your brain manifests. And so it's important for us to understand that we have to take care of both our mind and our body. What's even weirder is there's a lot of personality disorders out there like narcissistic, borderline, these kind of antisocial personalities, paranoid personality disorders. These kind of disorders are also often treated somatically. So it's they start with the body and then they work themselves to the mind because the mind becomes sharper as the body becomes stronger and better prepared for life and that person becomes more self-aware. Therefore, their personality disorder becomes more manageable because they're more mindful. So this is an important thing to think about as we go through our lives. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about some of the limitations of it. And then we're going to go into a further breakdowns about how to develop this kind of therapy and how to conduct it. So come back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Dr. Connie Mariano is a groundbreaker. She was the White House physician to three presidents, toured the world on Air Force One, and has had countless amazing experiences. The one thing that life didn't prepare her for was becoming a widow. After losing her beloved husband, John, in a tragic accident, Dr. Connie joined the one million women who were widowed in the United States each year. While her journey as a widow has been one of intense grief and sorrow, it has also been one of extraordinary growth and rebirth. Now, Dr. Connie is sharing what she's learned, joined by her knowledgeable guests to help anyone struggling with this deeply personal and often lonely journey of their own. Tune into The Widow's Walk, Thursdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about undiagnosed somatic pain. Some people call that hypochondria. You know, it's amazing, though, that a lot of people go through life experiencing pain, but it's undiagnosed. They don't know where it's coming from. The doctors can't tell where it's coming from, and it is driving people crazy because they have no answer. Well, oftentimes it has to do with your thinking, with your mind and body, and how they're connected. And so somatic therapy helps people experience greater self-awareness and connection to other people, but it also helps people find a better sense of their own bodies, reduce their stress, explore their emotional and physical concerns. And so these body-oriented therapies often help people, especially with things called post-traumatic stress disorder. And it... It also um, is something that it may be essential to traumatic treatment. However, we have to also understand that there's concerns about this. Despite its reported effectiveness and increased popularity in therapy, some concerns have been raised regarding the use of somatic psychotherapy as a treatment option. One issue is that the use of touch, which is utilized as part of some somatic approaches. But touch in therapy is a major concern. While some individuals assert that therapeutic techniques involve physical contact with the therapist, result in pain reduction and the release of tension, some people, such as those affected by sexual abuse, may have significant issues with being physically touched. That's very understandable, you know, and and it may not be for them. And some experts have also questioned whether the use of touch could have unintended effect of rendering Therapy sessions, frightening, arousing, sexual, the, the, the possible presence of these types of intense emotions could contribute to the development of, of what's called a projection or transference or even the counter-transference coming from the therapist to the patient, uh, which affects the therapeutic relationship unethically. And in order for this type of treatment to be effective, both the therapist and the person in treatment must consent to touch and possess the capacity to learn how to develop their own bodily awareness. Because not all forms of psychotherapy, especially with the body, have satisfied a test of scientific validity. And also, uh, uh, there's some uh, accredited institutions that don't accept it. And so it, it may not be recognized. It may be on the fringe of what is called psychotherapy or therapy. You know, we have to look at the root causes of healing. You know, therapies which focus on tough stuff like learning skills solely rely on that, that, that a cognitive relationship without any touch, any mind-body awareness. Some, client, some clients are, are doing 
all the right things, but somehow aren't feeling relief. And so that often happens when therapy emphasizes a focus on the brain-based issues, often assuming the mind and thinking style to be causing the psychological distress. However, many times it just is not just in our head. It's, it's, it's always related to anxious, depressive, nervous, uh, uh, crazy thoughts that cause the problem. But also these kind of things exacerbate any physical symptoms that you may be having. Maybe it drives up your high blood pressure. Maybe it drives up uh, unhealthy eating habits, which actually drives up your cholesterol. That's never a good thing. It also may cause your, your, your heart to beat uh, uh, in, a, in a, a poor way or maybe mitral valve prolapse where the little lid there that goes up and down the little I can't remember what you call but it, but anyway where it, it's not going to regulate properly you know in certain instances the brain and the body have been wired based on experiences leaving the body with unconscious deeply rooted beliefs that are not accessible to cognitive approaches such as things that people may think like I'm a bad person I'm alone I won't ever heal. Many times a person may not be aware of the beliefs they carry until confronted with you know, something that is related to it. You know, so somatic approaches are often used to engage in a relationship between your mind, your body, your brain, and your behavior. And those kind of therapists are use interventions to help calm your client's nervous system and create more ease in the healing process. You know, there's, there's lots to be thought about. Developing awareness. You know, we educate clients about the body's awareness, how to cultivate body awareness in and around your body. And this is a prerequisite to creating change in a cellular level. So we begin by identifying areas of tension and areas of con uh, constriction as well as thoughts, feelings, behaviors that promote a feeling of calm and safety and bring these to conscious awareness. And, and they may uh, practice something like uh, softening a hunched back to a more straightened posture to be given working towards body alignment. You know, by focusing on and amplifying the sensations in your body – you begin to deepen your healing experience and allow for change that you can feel in your body, in your skin. Also, there's a term called resourcing, and it refers to the way we strengthen our sense of stability and safety in the world. It, you know, before beginning deeper work, you might identify the resources you have. Often we'll look at significant people, relationships, ego strengths, experiences, times, places that strengthen a sense of safety and choice. And sometimes this is a practice of coming up with a secure space, which can be real or imaginary, where we expand on the space and give you and gets a feeling you get a feeling of peace, ease, and calm. And that resource creates protective figures or wise figures or nurturing figures by bringing to mind people who give you a sense of strength, empowerment, and trust from where we may ask your body, how does it feel to be in your skin, in your body, when you have the image of that person in front of you? And so we basically are creating a download or a sense of, of, of capturing the sensations and thoughts and feelings associated with feeling good so the mind and the body can become back to these resource states that later when trauma or anxiety work gets tiring.
Also, grounding is another term, and it refers to our ability to experience our full selves as connected and embodied. So the concept of grounding is not just the root of a mind-body focused intervention. It, it is more about how we regulate a calmness and how we regulate our nervous systems when we're feeling overly activated or triggered, as grounding helps soothe and settle us. And so it may be touching something. It may be feeling water. It may be sitting around a fire. It may be sitting around where air is being circulated. Whatever that may be, that is something that may ground you. And you have to recognize what are those things that you make you feel like you're being grounded. You know, and this is in your mind. But we have to be curious. We have to be descriptive, we have to stay close to the experiences, and we have to be mindful of how those experiences are affecting us. And that is a way that we can get back into anxiety, back into depression, back into tension, back into trauma, memories that get processed, as long as you can track, contact, describe, and allow the experience to move through you. But if you think about how you feel. How does your body feel when you're anxious? How does your body feel when you're depressed? How does your body feel when you remember trauma? If you can get mindful about that, you can also find where your somatic pains are coming from. And that is an important way because once you've identified that, now we have to find a way to get through it. You know, if you're angry, it's something that's happening. If you're irritated, how is your body responding to that? Because it may not like what you're going through. Maybe your back becomes tense. Maybe you, maybe your shoulders become tense. That's a way that we carry our feelings in our body. Being aware of that is helping us move through it. So, you know, you know, if it's feeling like raging fury, I know feeling welling up in your chest as you as you stay with the sensations and follow what happens, you'll notice that anger moves and how it slowly shifts as you focus on the descriptive sensation instead of the details that it's in the upsetting event. So instead of going outward with your anger, go inward and examine and be objective to how it's manifesting in your body. This is huge. You can use descriptive language as a method to deepen wherever you're experiencing. Some descriptive words are warmth, cold, tingly, sharp sensations, numbness, dull pressure, ease, spinning, lifting, swirling, and calming. These are all beautiful words to target on and try to grab some sense of warmth, some sense of what cold is, some sense of a sensation, numbness, pressure, being aware of how your body is going towards something that is hurtful, that is painful, is very good for you rather than taking it outward like anger and irritability and hurting someone else's life. You know, movement is a natural way for the body to move through different experiences, insecurities, past traumas, intense emotions. Movement is a natural way to help strengthen your abilities to show up and be connected to other people and feel more confident. What's interesting is if you're going to go through, and especially if you've been at war and then you go through Walmart and you're freaking out because all, there's all these crazy people around you or if you're in Costco and you're breaking out in a cold sweat because there's all these people around you, well, guess what? Change your body language. Change your body language and see how that feels. Try to be more confident. Try to be more present. 
Try to be more aware. Stop looking around for some dangerous thing to happen and start looking around to see what's around you. See who's around you. See what the attitudes they are. See what the people are. But actually be a part of the people in which you are interacting with and you're moving around with. That helps us tap into our innate ability to heal the stories that our bodies hold within ourselves. If you take some time, you'll notice how each of us carries stories and beliefs that impact how we interact. I call that a narrative. So let's say you've developed a narrative that I'm a bad, I'm a dumb person. Okay, I'm a dumb person, so I'm going to look for biased research to tell me how dumb I am. Oh, I was dumb there, and I'm dumb there, dumb there, dumb there, dumb there. I'm just dumb, 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 dumb. I developed that habit of finding that bias research to prove how dumb I am, and then eventually I'm going to believe it, and it's going to dictate how I operate in my life. Well, people that think they're dumb have a different body posture than people that don't. They carry themselves differently. They interact differently. They move differently. They drive differently. They live differently. They work differently. They interact with their family differently. Never a good idea to form a narrative because it's always bias. It's always bias, and we always we have such deep and strong egos that we have to prove ourselves correct, even if it's to self-destruct. You know, if you if you take the time, you know, our gestures, our postures, our voice volume, our presence in the room communicates what we believe about ourselves and what we expect and what we experienced in the past. People that have a commanding voice often are a commanding person. That means that they carry a lot of energy, but that also means they like a lot of attention. That means they want to lead. That probably means they're insecure. So, I mean, the, your voice also plays a big role in your life, and that is also can be an ingredient that causes somatic pain because some people may not receive it well. You know, we might the movement in sessions may help you move through something that's coming up. You know, if you have an urge to hide behind other people or speak quietly or notice that you have some kind of urge, you know, allowing you to take a physical movement to represent, if you need to hide, you might crouch down and look away and see how that feels. You know, you may represent your feelings in a somatic therapy session actually staging what your feelings would be at this time if you are put into these events and how you would react. And by doing that, you become much more aware of what your body is saying about what you're thinking. There's a thing called co-regulation, which refers to the way we calm ourselves down and when we're, we're connecting to someone else. You know, in attachment therapies, the, the, basically the therapist uses themselves as a mirror uh, to help stressed or disconnected clients calm down. So they reflect the energy, the healthy place in which the client needs to go to to calm down. So they become calmer in order to, to provide a sense of warmth, uh, of, of compassion, care, stability. That helps the other person potentially regulate their emotions. That's called mirroring. There's also self-regulation is when we develop our own tools to calm ourselves down on our own. And we all need a combination of the, these things. To, we get it from others. We also need to get it from our own abilities. And, and these kind of tools, the self-regulation, are taught to help you move through big emotions. And uh, the, the, sometimes the, the room you're in, maybe you need to move to a different room. 
you know, maybe the smell you're around, you need to change that. Maybe the visuals where you're at is around that. Maybe the noise is too loud. So emotional self-regulation can involve all of your sensory perceptions. And we need to be very much aware of how our sensory perceptions are receiving. Also, emotional regulation is a vital ingredient uh, especially if you're going to be a parent, because we teach our children how to regulate by how we help them regulate in turn. They learn how to self-regulate based on the co-regulation they got from their parent-child bond. And living in a regulated life is one of the biggest accomplishments, because when we are regulated, we're able to live more deeply, love more fully, and experience the sweetness of daily pleasures. That is the meaning of life. Unfortunately, many parents are very selfish and impatient, and they want their children to do exactly what they want. And when their children violate their rules, they turn nasty and high-tempered and violent. Now, trauma, panic, fear, terror, you know, frustration, depression, all express sensations in the body. But we can feel overheated, trapped, frozen, or disconnected, or completely lost in those feelings. And so those kinds of experiences and emotions won't move when you dive into them head first, as you run the risk of flooding yourself and re-traumatizing your body, your body and your mind, because that fight or flight is gonna kick in. And that is your brainstem. And your brainstem teaches you to survive. So your brainstem above it, it, it is going to, the limbic system is gonna grab those memories and hold them because that's what your brain is trying to do to self-preserve. And so we have to be very careful about how we deal with trauma. We want to approach healing trauma through our body and through our mind. We want to pace and track how our body is handling discomfort and properly release the emotions needing to be released. And the common words for that is called pacing and tracking. You know, it's very important. There's another another term that's more technical, titration and pendulation. But it's basically pacing and tracking. That That is what we're talking about. You know, titration is a process in which we experience small levels of distress at a time with the focus on being to release it and discharge it from our body. Pendulation is what's used to achieve Tritulation, titulation, and pendulation is when you pendulate your focus between stressful content and something completely non-stressful that's calming and soothing. And if you do this, it comes up with your body and your brain comes up with a process that's very important. You slowly oscillate to a resource such as trust you have in the relationship in your life or a belief that is reassuring to you. And as you do that, you're also processing the stress. All right, we're going to take another break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about our attitude and how to set boundaries and how to be more mindful. So come back. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today 
or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Stuck in a state of being that holds us back from creating the life we truly desire. Regardless of your own blocks or limitations, imagine an easier way to get unstuck and move forward with your life. On this show, Jason Hopkins shares his practical next right step approach that will move you toward the life you really want. You too can be steps from getting the abundance, love, support, and fulfillment your heart desires. Get unstuck. Move forward with your life with Jason Hopkins. Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about uh, somatic healing, somatic pain that's usually medically undiagnosed. And... You know, there's times that events get trapped in your body and play themselves out with intrusive images, thoughts, tension, panic, unhealthy relationships with the feeling of sadness and despair. And God knows what's going to cause the, the triggers for that stuff to happen. But with somatic type of therapy, it's teaching you to go back into the event without basically uh, the sensations. And to go back in the event and then try to understand how you can reprocess as it in a different way, how you can look at that event in a different way and choose to have a different set of responses and emotions. You know, it's also if, if you're not feeling like a powerful person, maybe push on a pillow or a wall, feeling the strength in your arms, you know, learning how to set a boundary, learning that you do have power in life that you do have strength and that you can be able to protect yourself. You know, we have to connect ourselves back physically, sometimes to physical events and mental events that have taken place in our life and choose how to make a new response. There's another thing called sequencing, and this is a process which the body-based tension begins to release. And it typically happens with a beginning movement, the cessation that moves up or down as a part of the body, the emotion intensifies, and then it slowly starts to dissipate. And it's like a, a, a linking experience where we are a few dominoes, and then once the process starts, basically all the dominoes start to fall. And that is called a sequence. And so the tension in the belly may begin to move to your upper body. And then it moves out of your chest. And maybe it moves out of your arms because now your arms are starting to release it. You may actually begin uh, feeling uh, pulses in your throat or tightness in your head, around your forehead. Sometimes they're shaking in the legs or the hands. But that may mean that this stuff is actually leaving your body for once in your life. 
you know, sequencing often uh, also brings other other forms of release. You may cry as you let go of emotions uh, and the sadness that you've been holding. You may take a deep sigh and notice the ability to breathe easily, or you may feel like you've you've dropped a huge brick from your heart. You know, clients often express a lighter feeling after their body is properly sequenced through an event or an emotional experience. You know, and also boundaries is huge. They're a fundamental piece of work when it comes to somatic treatment. When you lead and lean into boundaries for a somatic standpoint, you will notice that what kind of boundaries you're naturally setting, verbally, non-verbally, you know, you may practice saying yes or no, but boundaries with people you love are basically set by this. This is what I can do, and this is what I can't do. It doesn't have to be a high-conflict moment. Also, boundaries are stop or okay, but it's also understanding that you need to teach people or learn about what the process is in, in, in terms of what the process is leading to the bad thing that's happening. You need to understand the process rather than hammer on the bad thing. That's how we find what's called forgiveness. You know, we need to be curious about engaging in somatic uh, uh, events. We need to understand how our body is taking things in. This is an important part of our life and our work. Somatic psychotherapy is an umbrella term, but basically what it's is, it's trying to understand it's different than talk therapy. It's understanding what's going on inside how our body is responding to what we think. You know, these emotions can turn into psychological disorders, and then they turn into physical disorders like neck or back pain. Chronic pain is uh, is very uh common uh, source of among people who've been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, chronic neck and back pain. You know, uh, somatic therapists use mind-body techniques to release the pent-up tension that's weighing on your emotional and physical well-being. Also, it's designed to help you heal on a cellular level. So how do these emotions get caught in the body? Well, after an event, the nervous system can get stuck in survival mode. So stress hormones such as cortisol are continuously released, leading to an increase in blood sugar, blood pressure, which can weaken the immune system. In addition, some of our bad experiences can produce deeply rooted beliefs that our conscious minds can't even access. These include negative or unhelpful thoughts. I'm a bad person. I'll never be successful. Once again, again those are negative narratives. So, you know, we want to find how our body is responding to the life that we're living. Having body awareness, this is one of the first steps to learning to release tension, is you learn to recognize and identify areas of tension in the body as well as common thoughts, calming thoughts and feelings. Also grounding. This is connecting deeply to your body and the earth. Grounding involves sensing the body feeling your feet on the ground, and calming your nervous system. Then we talked about this just the last, uh, just the last few minutes, is pendulation. That's where a therapist guides you from a relaxed state to one that feels similar to the traumatic event. And this may repeat several times, allowing you to release the pent-up energy. While the energy is released, you may feel uncomfortable or anxious, but each time you'll get, be guided back to a relaxed state. And over time, you'll learn to get into a relaxed state on your own. Uh, trituration 
is the therapist guides you through a traumatic memory. You'll be asked to observe any changes in your body that appear as you describe the memory. And if you experience any physical sensations, the therapist will help you address them as you do that. Once again, we talked about sequencing, paying close attention to the order in which sensations and tensions leave your body. For instance, if you might feel tightening in your chest or in your throat, or there may be a sensation of trembling as the tension leaves your body. And also the resourcing, once again, going back to that, that involves resources in your life that make you feel safe, such as your relationships, your personality strengths, even a favorite vacation spot. It can include, include anything that makes you feel calm. Then you can recall good feelings and sensations associated with those resources, which act as an anchor. That is important. You know, the types of things that can be treated is grief, anger, anxiety, depression, trust, intimacy, insecurity. All of these are very typical things that every human being has in their life. And so there's, there's also uh, uh, ways to look at it through what's called EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. This is where basically a client remembers the traumatic experiences in short uh, uh, doses, and then they also do eye movement as they describe it. So they basically, it's like a train. They do eye movement, they discuss a little bit of the event, then they do eye movement, discuss a little bit more, eye movement, discuss a little more. What that does is it moves the memory off of the brainstem which is at the limbic system, and it dumps it back into the memory glands, which basically puts a window between the event and yourself. So you remember everything that happened, but you don't feel it anymore. You no longer have the fight or flight reaction. That is the main goal of EI movement desensitization reprocessing. Many, many, many people take advantage of that, especially with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, acute anxiety. It can be extremely effective in helping people through that kind of stuff. You know, we have to look at at about 50% of primary care patients in the medical community have physical symptoms that cannot be explained by a general medical condition. And some of these patients meet the criteria for basically the somatoform disorders. You know, what can actually cause somebody to experience somatic disorders is a person that's been traumatized medically. Let's say they had a bad childbirth. Let's say they had a bad experience in the hospital. Let's say they've had a a potential medical diagnosis but not anything found. So they get people get hypersensitive about their body and they're always looking at their body inside themselves looking for pain. And those pain may lead them to the conclusion that they're dying of cancer or whatever and that because uh, that causes what's called hypochondriacs. And hypochondriacs spend their whole time Googling their health to try to find out what they're dying of at that very moment. And if you want to spend your life like that, you're never going to live. Unfortunately, we have to be able to not take a, a, a potential medical event and conclude that that is what the problem is. Yes, we may want to take it serious. Yes, we want to make sure the medical community is aware of it. Yes, we want to get help. But no, we don't want to fixate on it if we don't have the answer. We need to hope for the best. You know, there's also other 
uh, somatoform disorders. There's a thing called illness anxiety disorder, which imagines you have symptoms of very serious disease like cancer. There's also what's called a conversion disorder, having symptoms that suggest a serious disease of the brain or nerves. There's also body dysphoric disorder, spending a lot of time being concerned about your appearance. Also a pain disorder, having persistent pain that can't be linked to a physical disorder. And these still don't take into account all forms of prolonged pain that don't quite meet the criteria of what would be a somatic illness. And so it's important for us to understand that we manifest somatoform disorders in all kinds of different ways. Unfortunately, researchers still don't really know what causes them. You know, that's fairly inconvenient. So if you have any of these somatoform disorders, you'll likely seek medical attention over mental. And doctors often have a hard time seeing past the lack of illness behind your physical symptoms, which is ironically the root of the problem. You know, here's some risk, uh, risk factors that you have to consider when you have a mental or um, uh, a medical illness. Do you have anxiety and depression? You know, have you been diagnosed with a medical condition or having recovered from something that is traumatic? Do you have traumatic experiences that have happened in your life? Are, you know, are you at risk for conditions of a family medical history? These are things to consider because they may lead you directly into be hypertensive around a somatic issue causing somatic pain in your body. Once you step away from the medical world and go to a mental health professional, they'll likely ask you about your family history, sources of stress, and from there they may look into some things, you know, like uh, your physical symptoms, how that interferes with your daily life, how you spend too much time or energy worrying about other things like your health, you know, what you, would you, what, have you experienced symptoms for six months or more, and 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 probably uh, set you on a therapy plan. Uh, to see if medication is the right route or cognitive therapy is the right route or maybe uh, treating a somatic problem is the right route. And maybe mind-body type of therapy is the best thing for you. And so, you know, hopefully this helps you. Hopefully this gives us a sense of feeling loved and feeling like we are dealing directly with a somatic disorder from the mind-body connection, not only for armoring ourselves from a medical perspective, but armoring ourselves through psychology. That will help you. This will always help us. Even if you have heart disease, even if you have cancer, it is always a good idea to help get some mind-body connection going. All right, that's our show. Thank you for listening. I love hearing from you, and you can do that at voiceamerica.com, the Empowerment Channel, Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Now remember, depression is being colorblind and being told how colorful the world is. And whatever you do, give 100% unless you're donating blood. Also, fake news is cheap to produce. Genuine news is very expensive. Also, loving someone who doesn't love you is like waiting at the gate for an airplane that never arrives. Thanks for listening, everybody. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you.